Our scripture today is from the book of Daniel, the third chapter, and our subject, the continuation of God. Daniel 3, the continuation of God. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods and worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, if it be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visit was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew these men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonied and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ye servants of the Most High God come forth and come hither then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the, of the, of the fire and the princes, governors, and captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power nor was an hair of their head singed Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The Babylonian philosophy was basically similar to that of our times. It held to an evolving universe, and this evolving universe was constantly changing in its expression. But in any and every age, the high point of power at that moment was the incarnation of the powers or gods within the universe. The Babylonians worshipped Baalim, or Baals. That is, the powers inherent within nature, impersonal, blind forces, 
that evolved and manifested themselves in age after age in the various powers and empires that appeared. And therefore, there was for them no transcendence, no God above and beyond the world, apart from the world. The only God that could exist or the only gods that could exist were those that were a part of the evolving universe. This is the faith of all philosophies and religions other than biblical faith. Now Nebuchadnezzar had read the interpretation of the dream he had had in terms of his basic philosophy. And he saw the dream as revealing the future evolution of man and of empire. Four great empires and then a fifth monarchy which was to cover the earth. And he was, in his own thinking, the head of gold, the crown of all this the greatness and the glory, failing to realize that the image said no matter how marvelous the dream is at the top, it has feet of clay and ultimately becomes nothing but dust, so that it is no more than chaff, and the mighty appearance it gives is worthless. But Nebuchadnezzar saw the meaning of the dream in the context of his faith. It meant that although the great kingdom was in the future, he was at the very least its forerunner. Moreover, he saw himself as the head of gold, great in God's sight, powerful in terms of the purposes of this evolving power in the universe. Furthermore, the world of his day had been handed over to him. He was the incarnation of the powers that be. Then history meant, was therefore it meant in Nebuchadnezzar's hands and derived all its meaning from him. Therefore Nebuchadnezzar could not be resisted without resisting history, without resisting the universe, without resisting whatever gods might be. The glory was in his hands. This faith is very similar to the reigning philosophies of our day. Because the philosophies of our time, whether they be democratic or Marxist, are derived from two basic strands. One, the evolutionary strand, Hegel and Marx, and the other, the strand from Rousseau, now, according to Hegel and Darwin, evolution sees the blind, unconscious forces of the universe expressing themselves in one form after another, trying to realize themselves. And for Rousseau, this realization came about in that the people represented the broad base the divine power imminent in mankind. And the will of the people was incarnate in their leaders so that the general will of the people manifested itself in the leaders, an elite group who knew 
because they incarnated it, what the people either wanted or should want, so that they themselves knew better than the people what they wanted. Now this, of course, is Marxism. And in every form it appears. For example, Mao Zedong has made it clear that democracy is basic. And he has said that the reactionaries such as America are merely paper tigers because the reason, he says, is that they are divorced from the people. Power is from below. It is evolving upward. And therefore, he says, the People's Republic is very great. And the army of the People's Republic is very great. The army, he says, must become one with the people so that they see it as their own army. Such an army will be invincible. But it is not the people themselves who must govern. So he declares, in the sphere of theory, destroy the roots of ultra-democracy, which is the people attempting to govern, because how can they know what is best because their deity is incarnated in their elite leaders, in the dictatorship of the proletariat. And this, of course, is the theory of Western democracy today. Only, instead of calling it the dictatorship of the proletariat, we call it the democratic consensus. So that the president and his elite group know the democratic consensus. They express it. So that they know better than the people below now, this was basically Nebuchadnezzar's faith. The inherent forces of the universe had manifested themselves in the Babylonian Empire. And all this power that was incarnate in the Babylonian Empire expressed itself in him so that he was its voice, its power, and its being. And therefore, this great image, three-score cubit and six-cubit, 90 feet by nine, was erected in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And people were summoned to come and to worship it, to recognize the greatness, the divine power and glory of Babylon and of Nebuchadnezzar in particular. For those who refused, a burning fiery furnace had been set aside. Now the fiery furnace was not a new thing, but a common instrument of punishment for the worst capital offenses. It was common to Babylon and to the world of that area. In that area it persisted at least through 1662 when in Isfahan the fiery furnaces were used for any violators of the state's food and price control. It has been used much more recently further east in the far east when in the 1920s in one country in particular 
the student communist movement demonstrations and riots were broken up when the furnaces were stoked for a day or two with some of the students. It dampened the student rebellion. Now Nebuchadnezzar was told that three of his officers, Daniel was apparently away on official business, so he was not involved on this occasion, but that three of his high-ranking civil service officials, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had refused to come and worship the image. And he was very angry at this and sent for them. But he showed his esteem for them in that he gave them another opportunity. In effect, what he did was to offer these three men an opportunity for compromise, and he considered it a favor to them. From the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, compromise was an opportunity. To the godly, it is death. And so he reasoned with them, and he said, Don't you realize what the issues are? The alternatives are death or submission and what point is there in resistance because after all I incarnate the present powers in the universe for who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand here the thesis was stated falsely who is that God that shall be able to deliver you out of my hands. There is no court of appeal beyond me. I am the ultimate power. There is no power beyond me. This is the thesis of Marxism. This is the thesis of democracy, and that is why the Supreme Court denies that there is a higher court, the court of God, or a higher law, the law of God. All the power in the universe is incarnate in its present form in the powers that be. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar, therefore, was presenting to them intelligent reasoning that their answer was, We deny your premise. We believe in a sovereign God. You are saying in effect that our cause and our course is folly and that we are helpless and that there is no God able to deliver us. But we worship a sovereign God, a transcendent God, a God totally unbound by man. And our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if he does not, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Nebuchadnezzar had said, God is with me, incarnate in my social order. There is no other God except that which is evolved 
and manifested itself in me. I am the synthesis of all the divine forces in history. These three men affirmed the transcendent God, declared that he was able to deliver them, but that he was not obliged to deliver them because he was not bound by any prayer of man, nor any hope of man, nor any wish of man, that he was absolute Lord and Sovereign. We are told that Nebuchadnezzar at this answer was full of fury. This was as direct an assault on the entire thesis of his kingship and his empire as one could make. And so he had the men immediately bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. And the heat of the furnace was so great that the soldiers who went near to throw them in were killed by the heat. But then to his amazement, he saw the three men, not dead, but walking in the midst of the fire, and one with them. Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And there was not even the smell of smoke on their clothing, nor any harm even to a hair of their heads. It was total deliverance. Nebuchadnezzar then issued a decree declaring that no one was to speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did not change his opinion. He simply said, here in effect is an unaccountable force in the universe connected with these men. So let's take a hands-off policy with regard to this matter. Let us not tamper with it because it is dangerous to our future. Therefore, it is forbidden to all men within the empire because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. But there was no submission to that God. The message of Daniel 3 is very relevant to our time because the faith of Nebuchadnezzar is the faith of virtually every state in the world today, virtually every country. These nations today see themselves as the incarnation of whatever divine force there is in history and as a priesthood. And this is not a new thing. It is simply a revival of that which occurred towards the end of the Middle Ages 
The Reformation for a time forestalled and defeated it, but it has revived itself again. Toward the end of the Middle Ages, the state claimed to be God on earth. Frederick II, one of the greatest of the medieval emperors, the Hohenstaufen, Holy Roman Emperor, saw the state as the incarnation of whatever God there was, and his basic faith was pantheistic. And he saw the true priesthood, therefore, of this evolving natural force in the universe to be the state, so that we see, not only in him but in others, progressively, an imitation of the priesthood in the civil service. We have it to this day in that the judges wear clerical garbs, clerical gowns. This is to signify that they are priests because it was the claim of the state in the medieval period that they represented the true priesthood of the universe. And therefore their judges, their civil officials, anyone who was an officer of the king of the empire was to be garbed with priestly garb. But the church also claimed to be an incarnation of God, a continuation, they said, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and a priesthood. And the school made the same claim, so that you see in that era, continuing to this day, the claim of the school to represent the true inherent deity of the universe and to be the true priesthood of that evolving force. And so the graduates of any university began to put on gowns to indicate at graduation that they were now the true priests of the universe, that by their gowns they signified that the meaning of the world incarnated itself in their minds. The meaning of the universe was going to be expressed in and through them. And this is why, of course, the intellectuals to this day pontificate when they speak. They are the voice of whatever gods may be. The Reformation declared that Christ alone is the Incarnation, reviving the ancient Catholic faith, the biblical faith, that Christ alone is our true and great high priest, in him we are members of his body. In him we are priests unto God. In him we have the blessed assurance that time and eternity are controlled, not by church, state, or school, but by the sovereign and omnipotent God. Thus, as we face the Nebuchadnezzars of our day, who are intent upon destroying our Christian's past, who have effectually infiltrated and captured the churches with their humanism, and who seek to destroy, to burn up our Christian past. 
It is not they with their fiery furnaces who control the world, but the God of Daniel, your God and mine. And this God is our God forever and ever. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be moved, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. For the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee that thou art the God of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and our God. We thank thee that our destiny is not the fiery furnaces which the world prepares for us, but thy holy, glorious, and delivering purpose. And so, our God, we cast our every care upon thee, knowing thou carest for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now? Yes. In the verse that is mentioned about the Son of God is the last of the 25, does that mean that Nebuchadnezzar recognized it? It was, of course, Christ, yes, who was there. But not that he recognized Christ as Christ, but he recognized that here was one who looked like the Son of God. In other words, was God-like in his appearance. This was what it meant to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes? In the description of Mary uh, as the mother of God, and sometimes the use of her image, is that a... In the creeds, uh, where we in the English read Mother of God, the true in the creeds, uh, where we in the English read Mother of God, the true reading is in the original Theotokos, because the creeds were originally written in Greek, and this means the bringer forth of God. So that Mother of God is a mistranslation and a misconception. But what the creeds declared, that she is Theotokos, the bringer forth of God, is the correct form and uh, the true faith. Many of these no, we, with that we cannot agree. Another question? Yes. Um, I found myself in a spot, and I wanted to ask you what I probably should have said. Um, I was talking to somebody on the subject of uh, the Christian uh, science case, and we know somebody that is a teacher, and um, well, she spent years studying this, and she lived it, and, uh, you know, at any rate, uh, there was a child in, uh, in the family, not her own, but in the family, that burned the bottom of the feet very severely. And she was the one that uh, came to talk to him. And as you said, the next day he was healed, and his whole family converted to the family. 
What? Yes. Then they'll worship that. But we are not to worship in terms of power, but in terms of truth. Knowing that the true power of the universe is in God, and God speaks through his word. So that those who follow such an instance like this uh, can, five or ten years from now, be involved in something else, you see, because they are following the highest point of manifestation of power for them, power related to them, what it does for them. And of course, the medieval stories of Faust had precisely this aspect. Faust promised that the highest powers they would see in their lives would be manifested for their behalf if they would sell their souls, or rather the devil promised Faust, if, uh, that the uh, powers would be manifested for him if he sold his soul to the devil. What did he want? Was it gold, or was it women, or was it uh, pomp and circumstance? Power would flow to him at that point, you see, because he was worshipping power. And this is what the healing cults get into. They do worship power, and the uh, amount of serious mental disturbances in any and every healing movement are tremendous. Yes. Uh, I'm not thinking of any doing from religion and have to feel Satan is the only power that uh uh the only one that has the power here. God does realize that's right. Yes. And there are many, many evidences of such healing. But you see, there's a difference between worshipping God and worshipping healing. Now, the religion of the American Indians is nothing but healing. They have no religion apart from that. Their religion is centered around the medicine man. And that's why, when I was among the Indians, the thing that would draw any and every Indian was any uh, healer. He could come in the name of any religion, but if he promised healing, every Indian was there overnight because this was the only kind of religion they recognized. What's in it for me? Is it going to help me overcome sickness? And the great Indian cult of the last century, the ghost dance religion, was centered around the promise of the ghost dance messiahs who had picked up a smattering of... Uh, Christianity, and so that they had borrowed a few ideas from it. And their idea was, if we dance the ghost dance the right way, we're going to live forever, all the, all the Indian dead are going to return, a big wind is going to come and pick up all the white men and drop them in the ocean, and the buffalo and the antelope and the elk will be back, and the grass will be knee-deep in all the hills of America, if we dance the sun dance, you see. It, healing religion. This is all they understand. The one man in America above all others who is popular on Indian reservations is Oral Roberts. They listen to him constantly because this is their old medicine man kind of talk. It's their kind of religion. It's not Christianity. Yeah, 
Exactly. No, no. No, no. We are commanded to pray for the sick and we are told that God will answer and very often does so that we are to pray for healing and we would be amiss, we would be sinning if we were ill and did not pray for healing for ourselves and for others. We do want to end a little early today, but before we do, I'd like to call your attention to a very interesting book, since we are on the subject of healing, Confronting the Cult, by Gordon R. Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, published by Presbyterian and Reformed Publishing Company, for two ninety-five. Now, there are many, many books published that deal with the cult. And many of them will give you more specific information on the cults than this book will. But the value of this book is precisely this, that it will give you the framework of thinking so that you'll be able to understand what a cult is. For example, just on the most elementary level, he points out that there are two things that characterize every cult. First, it adds something to the Bible. In other words, it has an extra revelation or a higher revelation. So this is the first mark of every cult. It has a new source of truth. It may be spirits as with the uh, spiritualists or it may be the Book of Mormon. It can be anything. But they have another source and a higher source of truth in the Bible. The second thing that characterizes a cult <clears throat> is that it will take a subordinate aspect of religious faith and make it paramount. Whether that subordinate aspect may be right or wrong, they'll take that and make it paramount. It may be something with respect to eating or the day of worship or something else, anything but this is made paramount rather than the essentials of the faith. So it is important in that respect in that this book gives you the basic theological and philosophical perspective for understanding what cults are. Well, with that, we then adjourn for today.